Hello, and welcome to Omo Story. My name is Joe Enos, and this is a weekly podcast where I will cover different topics and provide you with stories from my own life. I'm a gay man, an immigrant from the Azores Islands, a brother of seven siblings, a healthcare worker, a Seattle resident, and sometimes just a guy with a microphone ranting. Thank you for listening to Omo Story. This week, in episode eight, as I had stated in episode seven, I will be discussing a subject which I have never discussed out loud. This episode will be titled, July 31st, 1988. When I was seven years old, I hung out with some of my brother's friends. Older, 16 years old, one by the name of Sean and the other by the name of Reuben. Reuben was our neighbor. On a few different occasions, they had asked me when I was on my bike to come hang out with them at the big trees, which was just an area that had big eucalyptus trees and not much else. They would give me candy and then they would make me suck their dicks. A couple times both and then a couple times just one of them. I know now that it was not the right thing to do, but at that age, I don't know if I really understood why it was wrong. I know that I felt like shit afterwards, and I didn't like it when I was seven, and I still, unfortunately, do feel like part of it was my own fault. When my brother found out, he started calling me dick sucker, and he would started calling me that at school. Even though he was in junior high and his friends were in high school, it started to get around the school, and whenever I'd go out for recess, people would call me dick sucker, and I would hide in the bushes because I was embarrassed. This led to my teacher noticing and contacting the school administration, who then contacted the state of California, and I was summoned to the nurse's office to discuss with a social worker what had happened. I denied all of it and didn't tell them anything. The school contacted my home, and at the time my sister was about to get married, and she had decided to make me her ring bearer, and she had told me if I didn't tell her the truth that she would not let me be in her wedding. I denied it all and didn't tell her anything. Eventually, it kind of went away, except for my brother still calling me dick sucker. Now, because my brother knew this, he oftentimes would beat the crap out of me. He would do things like dig a ditch and have trip barbed wire and make me run through it and fall into the ditch and have to get out of it. He would do Chinese torture where he would put his legs on my arms and spit almost to my face or push down on my Adam's apple over and over again. And every time he would do it, it always sounded as if he had a timeline that he had to complete this. But he would always say, I'm going to make you tough. Regardless if you like it or not, I'm going to make you tough. Fast forward to July 31st, 1988. I was 12 years old. My sister was actually at our house after being married. My brother had taken my head and stuck it in a bucket of water to see how long it would take before I stopped breathing. My sister came around the corner and punched him and pulled him off me and told him that if he ever hurt me, she would kill him. Around that same time, his friends pulled up in their car, four boys in the car in a Volkswagen Bug, They honked the horn, he went and grabbed his shoes, and they were all going swimming, and he left the house. An hour and a half later, the phone rang at our house, and I could hear my mom talking to somebody, but couldn't understand what she was talking about. She then asked me if I could contact my brother Frank at his fiancé's house, Becky, because she needed to talk to him emergently. I dialed Becky's house, Becky answered, and I told her that my mom needed to speak to Frank. When my mom got on the phone, she explained to Frank that someone had called and said there was an accident, and that they weren't sure, but they thought that my brother had been part of the accident and that there were some kids that were hurt and they were taking them to hospitals. She asked him to go to the local hospital and see what he could find out. That night was warm, kind of dry, and my father was out irrigating, and it was just me and my mom at that point and my younger brother. My mom had asked me if I would go across the street to get the mail. She stood at the curb and waited as a few years prior, I had a cousin that was hit by a car when he was trying to get the mail. As I was crossing the street coming back, a pickup had pulled up to our house, and it was a friend of my brother's. 
who let my mom know that he had died. I remember this very vividly and I remember standing there in the middle of the road and watching my mother collapse and going into our house and that was the beginning of when my world completely changed. Not fully aware of what had happened or even understanding what was going on, I just sat outside in our front yard kind of paralyzed. Shortly after this, my brother Frank had pulled up and had told us that he did go to the hospital and they had told him that he had died in the ambulance and they asked him if he wanted to identify the body and he said no because he was going to punch him for being so stupid. My mother, now completely hysterical, in my brother's bed holding his clothing, stayed there for over a year. Unaware of where my father was, we sent uncles and other siblings to look for him as he was irrigating out in the fields and finally they found him and brought him home and he ran immediately to the bedroom and held and hugged my mother to the most romantic embrace that I'd ever seen them embrace in my life. My father, a smoker, that night, I believe smoked a carton of cigarettes and then never smoked again. July 31st, 1988 was exactly eight days before my brother's 18th birthday. He would then be buried on his 18th birthday. Partly because it was fitting to do it on his birthday and the other part was he was 6'4 and we lived in a small Portuguese community and there was no casket available that was that tall and so we had to wait for one to be available. On August 2nd, the local newspaper, the Modesto Bee, ran a story that stated three more dead in Helmar. The article stated that my brother had died at Emanuel Medical Center in Turlock at 8.20, an hour after the accident. Witnesses at the scene of the accident had stated that they had heard him screaming for help and nobody was helping or responded, and he waited there until an ambulance finally came. The ambulance didn't take him right away, unsure if he had insurance. The article continues on to list different people who have died in Helmar over the recent years as if none of them had any value or the article was just a tally. The next article written by this journalist was titled, Helmar, Car Wreck Claims Three More Young Residents. Again, not very compassionate to those victims or the families that were left behind. And a day before my brother was to be buried, this journalist wrote a final article, which was titled, Crash That Killed Three Teens in Helmar Was Linked to Cocaine. He describes in the article that the driver, Gary, had had cocaine in his system, and that because my brother had died in a different county that didn't require drug testing, and that because my parents chose not to have an autopsy, it was unsure whether or not cocaine was in his system. I am all for freedom of the press and providing facts and truths that you know, but for my mother, this was the worst thing that she could hear, and there was no facts. One, he was a minor, and two, there was no fact-based evidence, so my parents sued to have the article retracted and apology issued. When the attorney submitted the lawsuit to the journalist and the newspaper, they retracted the article and did apologize to my family. As for me, I sat in a state of confusion. I hated him. I was not happy that he was dead, but at the same time, I didn't know what I felt. I was upset that my world was being turned upside down. I was upset I didn't have a mother or father. I was upset that people would come by and my mother would be in a better place and then eventually they would bring her back to where we started and she would be hysterical and she would be in bed then again. And I just wanted them to stop coming by. The services came and went and I didn't attend any of them. My uncle tried to force me to go to the funeral, but I couldn't. I was too sick and vomiting. So I stayed behind with one of my cousins and we just sat there kind of in a lost place, not knowing what to say to each other. 
It is customary in Portuguese culture that the parents or family of the deceased wear black, and my parents did so for about two years, and that they do nothing socially except for attend church, which my mother and father both did for a year. Going to the cemetery with my mother, she would always cry, and she would sit there and talk to the headstone saying, you're not supposed to be here, you weren't supposed to be here, I wish I could change it, which made it very difficult for me to go with her. She also at this time became very questionable of her Catholic faith and why God would do this to her. After the complete investigation was completed, my parents were given a copy of the investigative report as well as crime scene photos, which they put into an album and would show people when they would come over. The crime photos showed people laying on the ground dead. We never talked about it. We never talked about him. If anyone said anything, we would usually whisper it underneath our voices, and we just kind of avoided the subject altogether, mostly because we didn't know how to talk about it, and also we didn't want to upset our parents. The following year, around the same time, I tried to pay my brother, who was four years older than me, to not go to the fair or be out driving late because I thought that he was going to die as well, and he wouldn't do it. Right after his death was football tryouts for Pop Warner, and I had chosen not to try out. The bully at my school in seventh grade came up to me on my first date and talked about how I was a big pussy for not trying out for football, and I punched him in the face, and that was the only time I ever got in a fight at school. Because my parents were experiencing such grief, I oftentimes felt I didn't have parents, and so I went to our local Catholic church. We had had a new priest, a youth priest, by the name of Tim, and he was young and friendly, and he and I became good friends. During my time with Tim, he eventually confided in me that he was still in love with women, and that every time he heard the song, O'Donna, he wanted to run into a woman's arms. And eventually, he did leave the priesthood and marry a woman. Over the last few years, we've slowly started to talk about my brother and about the accident and the things that happened to us individually. Last year, we all got together and became very candid and discussed many different things. My oldest sister explained that she had felt after he had died, she had a fear that every time the phone rang, somebody had died. My brother married his high school sweetheart, who eventually divorced due to the fact that she said that she didn't want to be his mother, nor did she want children. My sister married within a year, and she left her husband in the middle of the night after six months, and he stayed on our couch for half a year after she left him with a note in the middle of the night. The rest of us kind of just didn't understand, and we really weren't sure what we should feel, especially me. I hated him. He tortured me constantly and made fun of me and told people all kinds of things about me. And so I spent many, many years hating him to the point that one day I tried to recall different facts about him and I couldn't remember any. You remember that I said that whenever he would torture me, he would tell me that he was going to make me tough and how I felt that was always a statement that had a timeline to it. Well, I think I was right. The timeline was he was going to die. One night when I was about 23 years old, I got really drunk and had a out-of-body experience, if you will, and I met with my brother, and he and I talked, and I discussed all these different things that I was feeling and that I've told you, and we apologized to each other and then let it go, and I was finally free of this, but not free of the fact that I had spent so much time being angry that I had forgotten all the facts about him or the things that I should be remembering about him. In my coming out story, I explained that when I came out, my brother had said to me that we had had a sibling that died and we couldn't bring him back, so he didn't care if I was gay. Because of this fact, for many, many years, I felt guilty thinking that my brother had died because I 
needed him to die so that way I could come out and be gay. The things I do remember are mostly that evening when we found out. I remember the weather. I remember the smell. It was right after chop season in California where they chop all the corn and you could smell the grass kind of smell in the air. And it was a very warm kind of dry night. You could also smell a little bit of the almond blossom. And every now and then, I will not be paying attention. And out of nowhere, one of those smells or that feeling in the air will come and it will just knock me right off my tracks. And it's almost as if I'm that 12-year-old boy that's transported back into that moment. I remember my dad. For some reason, I never realized how much of a romantic or how much of a you know, spouse he was until that moment when he rushed in and grabbed my mom and everything around them had just disappeared, it seemed like. And he just hugged her and held her until she just couldn't hold him anymore. It was unbelievable to see it. And for some reason, that always kind of touches me to think that that came out of that situation. The day after the funeral, we took pictures as a family. And in the pictures, my dad is actually holding my mom's hand, which... While I hate that picture, I do love seeing my dad hold my mom's hand. I guess I kind of forgot to tell you what happened. So the five guys that were in the car were in a Volkswagen Bug, a 1968 Volkswagen Bug. Most of them were over six foot. And they were coming down a street in California, uh, in the country area, what we consider the country. The road was called Williams Avenue. And the police report stated that they had just come off of another road called Tegner and in the speeds that the driver was doing, he swerved out of control and hit a cement canal bank. Now, there's a f dairy farm right there with people that we knew from town that had stated that they didn't believe he had come off Tegner. They believed that maybe he was trying to turn onto the canal bank and at the speed he was going, he wasn't able to make the turn and he hit the cement wall on the front of the canal bank. Now, two of the guys, the driver and another guy were killed and my brother was thrown out of the vehicle, um, and he laid there until an ambulance came to take him. And they did CPR until they got to the emergency room parking lot where they pronounced him dead. Two other guys were injured and were taken to local hospitals and underwent emergency surgery for different injuries. Of course, they were teenagers, and none of them had their seatbelts on. And as I stated before, the driver was believed to be under the influence of cocaine, Whenever someone asks me how many siblings I have, I always say seven, even though my brother had passed. Um, and whenever anyone says to me, I'm sorry, I don't necessarily understand that. I appreciate it, but at the same time, you shouldn't be. You didn't know him and you weren't there, and there's no reason for you to be sorry. For me, from this horrible tragedy came a lot of amazing things. So am I sorry? Not necessarily, but would I say that I would have it happen again? No, but at the same time, my life has moved on in great ways because of it. When I was remodeling my house, I had a friend once say to me, God, you're not very big, but you sure are mighty. And I realized, yeah, I am, because my brother made me mighty. He made me tough. And while I'm not a fighter, I'm not looking to fight, I don't cause start fights, I will stand my own and I will make sure that I do not get taken advantage of and that I can kick some ass. I've also learned don't spend a lot of time being mad at a situation when someone passes. Try to forgive them or forgive the situation or else you will forget a lot about the individual and the situation. And it is sad later when you try to re retrieve those 
facts and you can't because you don't remember them. And I try to tell people this all the time as just from my perspective of what I have dealt with. Also, talk to someone, anyone. Just tell them what you're thinking. Because for a long time, those last words of my sister's to my brother, which is, if you hurt him, I will kill you, literally resonated in my head and I couldn't get rid of that idea and couldn't get rid of the guilt. Now I'm going to switch gears a little bit um, as I kind of skipped over this at the very beginning, the subject matter of the sexual assault. So I have a very weird kind of remembrance, understanding, and kind of thoughts around it. One, I don't remember much of it as I was seven years old, and I think that I shut it out as much as I could. Two, I feel like what I do know, I'm partly responsible. I don't know why, even though I was only seven years old. Um, And I don't really talk about it, and I'll be honest, I've never openly talked about it till today. Um, There are people in my life that don't know, um, and they may find out from this. Um, but I thought it was the right time, and I thought it was a good opportunity to talk about some of the situations that many people find themselves in as young people and don't understand what is going on or, or why it's a big deal or what you did to be part of it. The part that I feel is not my responsibility or not that anything that I did was that they were adults and or semi-adults. They were 16 years old, and I was seven, and they should have known better. But at the same time, they were 16 years old. As a seven-year-old, I guess I kind of felt like something was wrong because they were forcing me to do it. But at the same time, I wasn't really sure. And I don't know if I really thought much about it at that time. Not until my brother started calling me dick sucker and people at school started did I worry about it. The first person that I mentioned, Sean, he ended up going into the military and we didn't see him for years. Um, And I would see him occasionally and we wouldn't even acknowledge each other or we'd say hello. It was not a big deal. The other person, Ruben, was my neighbor, and I, for years, hated him. And I would look at him with such disgust and literally could not stand him. And eventually, he ended up moving away, and so I didn't have to deal with him. But, yeah, I could not stand looking at him, and he grossed me out big time. I honestly believe that only my mom may know. Because when the school contacted my home, they spoke with my sister because she was the only one at home at the time that spoke English, And they didn't have a Portuguese translator in those days. I believe my father did not know. It was probably better that my dad didn't know. He was a very, very aggressive, strong man who probably would have went ballistic. What would I say to my young self? Tell somebody. Be honest. Tell the truth. Don't lie. Don't hide. Don't avoid it. Just tell somebody. Because while you think it's your fault or you think that you had a part to do with it, you don't know. And... Talking to an adult or another person is always a good idea to try to get a little bit of clarity or understand what you're going through. And now I want to tell you the last part of this story, which is probably the strangest, most spookiest part of this story. My oldest sister at the time was living in Maryland when my brother had died, and she was unaware of who his friends were or anyone who he was hanging out with. She owns a small janitorial company in California. She was doing a new client intake where she goes through with the client and discusses what services they would like and prices it out and then schedules them for services. The woman who she was working with had told her that she also had been from Helmar, um, but that she had moved away from a divorce and that she had had a child that had died in a car accident in Helmar. My sister listened and really didn't say much. Later one day, they were sitting around talking again, and my sister said, 
you had said you were from Helmar and that you had a child that had died in a car accident. She said, yes, um, my son had died in a car accident with, there was five boys total and two other boys died. My sister said, in Helmar, and when was this? And the woman said, July 31st, 1988. Now, the woman was the driver of the car that my brother died in, his mom. But her and her husband had been divorced and her son, Gary, was living with his father. She didn't know any of Gary's friends because she had moved away. My sister didn't know any of my brother's friends because she had moved away. And by weird chance, this year, these two women came together and met each other. 35 years after the accident. When my sister told me, I just kind of sat there, frozen, not sure what to say, and really unsure of why the universe brought these two together. And as for me, well, now it's out there. Both the stories, and I don't have to hide or deny any longer, um, regardless if I believe it was my fault or not. So I thank you, because you gave me the opportunity to do that. And a few years ago, when I met my friend Jay, we had discussed what we call the day that someone died. And we both came up with the idea of Rainbow Day. So July 31st, 1988 is Rainbow Day. It's a day that I try to do something to remember, to acknowledge, but more of the life and not the accident and not the death, more of the individual and the rainbow that came after it. I've also learned that people are kind and always want to say the right thing and always want to align themselves. But people, it's not a contest. And I know that we've all had different people who've died in our lives. But when someone tells you someone passes, you don't have to tell them about someone that passed in your life. You may be able to tell them about someone that you cared for or something similar. But just remember, it's not a competition. And oftentimes, people don't like to hear that someone in your life has also passed because then it makes them feel even worse or feel as if you're trying to compete. While my brother's passing was horrible, and I would definitely go back and erase that event I will tell you that some amazing things did happen to me because of it. One, I'm tough. Two, my family completely accepted me when I came out. Three, my siblings and I are very close. Four, my parents started to hug and kiss us. And five, after they were done grieving, my parents were so engaged in my life. It was amazing. They drove me both every Saturday to modeling classes and sat and waited eight hours for me inside of the modeling school. They attended my school plays when they didn't understand the language or what was going on. And when I became president of a Portuguese organization, they traveled all over the state of California with me just to be there every single event that I was at. And six, when I was coming out and very confused, I knew that I would never commit suicide after I had seen what my parents went through losing a child. I'm sure many of these things would have happened if he was alive or not, but these are just a few of the things that I, that I remember right after he died. Now, as far as the sexual assault, I still have some embarrassment around it, but I'm glad that I got to discuss it. And, you know, with that comes growth. And I look forward to being more open and able to discuss it more without embarrassment and growing more and more each day around it. Although I don't remember much of it. And now, if I could offer you a piece of advice. If someone dies in your life that you are angry at or you're angry at the situation, please, 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 don't. 
don't be angry at the person. Don't be angry at the situation because you'll forget important things and facts. And later, when you do finally come to peace with it, you won't be able to recall the information or those facts or just likeliness about the person. And it'll be hard for you. So try to heed my warning or try to remember this, that live in the moment at that time so you can capture all that you can about that individual and not wait for 35 years when you don't remember much. And again, thank you for listening and letting me talk. This has been a Mo story. I thank you so very much for allowing me to do this episode. It's been one that I've been anticipating and I had a lot of anxiety and uh, excitement actually. And I'm glad that I was able to complete it and that you were able to allow me to do it. This is a Mo story. Subscribe, like, write a review, and tell your friends. Until next week.